Hey friends, it's Melvin. Thanks for tuning into this episode. Here's just a few quick things I wanted to notify you guys about before we get started. First up, very soon, new episodes will be releasing Wednesday mornings rather than Tuesday. So don't panic if you don't see a new episode on Tuesday. Just wait a little longer and you'll see it in your feed. Second, we've introduced a mailbag. Check those show notes and toward the bottom you'll see a mailbag link. You'll then be able to text us any questions you might have about movies, the movie industry, or any movie-slash-Christian-related questions you might have. Then we'll respond in a future episode, so send us your questions now. Up next, Patreon polls, which are available to Patreon supporters at the $3 tier or higher, have been updated. Supporters can now suggest films or shows to be reviewed at the end of each month. The two most liked submissions will become the options for the Patreon poll, so if you want to hear us talk about your favorite movie or show, join our Patreon and start campaigning. And lastly, whether you're a new or long-time listener, please consider writing a review or rating the Cinematic Doctrine podcast on iTunes and Spotify. Apart from financially supporting on Patreon, these are the two most helpful ways to support the show. And that's it. Enjoy the episode. Hi, my name is Melvin, and when will the leaves start falling? Welcome to Cinematic Doctrine, a non-spoiler Christian movie podcast where we sit at the table of cinema and eat. Tonight we'll be dining on Matt Reeves' Cloverfield. Released in 2008, Cloverfield snuck into the public scene with a haunting and mysterious trailer. A New York explosion followed by Lady Liberty's head careening across the street was one thing, but ending your trailer without a title card or anything was an entirely different scenario. Taking everyone by surprise, they scoured the internet for answers over this undeniably strange project, leading them to a myriad of MySpace accounts, websites, and a massive multimedia marketing strategy that, to this day, is still impressive. Using the internet, Cloverfield was advertised not through simple trailers or stills from the movie, but through what's called an alternate reality game. But before we dig into that, let's get you up to speed on what Cloverfield's all about. In preparation for Rob's promotion and subsequent move to Japan, all his friends get together to throw him a massive party, and his best friend, Hud, is tasked with filming everything. During the festivities, drama ensues as old relationships come a little too close for comfort. But none of this compares to the oncoming terror of the evening. Following an earthquake, the many partygoers head to the rooftop only to see a far-off explosion hurl chunks of buildings across the city. Terrified, they run into the streets only to find themselves at the start of their odyssey of terror and fright in the streets of New York, encountering horrific scenes of all kinds at the behest of a giant creature. Cloverfield is rated PG-13 for violence, terror, and disturbing images. Basically, Cloverfield is a disaster movie, so the terror and violence throughout is chaotic, overwhelming, and all-around frightening. It also immerses you in a strict, limited point of view using found footage, and that just adds to how frightening this film can get. Also, this film is surprisingly more graphic than I remembered. There are a few scenes of bloody violence and even a section that contains a few shots of gore, just something to be aware of. With the content awareness aside, I also wanted to share real quick that if you've come to enjoy Cinematic Doctrine and would like to support the show, be sure to leave a review on your respective podcast app at the end of this episode. And if you're listening on CinematicDoctrine.com, leave a comment below about some of your thoughts about Cloverfield, and I'll be sure to respond as soon as I can. Also, Cinematic Doctrine has a Patreon. For as little as $3 a month, you can join other patrons and vote on a movie I review once a month, as well as take joy in feeding my coffee addiction. 
Any amount is appreciated, with multiple tiers to choose from. All of it will go toward making Cinematic Doctrine the best podcast it can be. But anyways, Cloverfield, that's why we're here, so let's get into it. So I briefly mentioned that there was a strange form of marketing prior to the film's release. I mentioned the term alternate reality game. For those who don't know, basically an alternate reality game is an interactive, multi-layered narrative that uses the real world as a platform and employs multimedia formats to deliver its story. In other words, it uses things like text posts, videos, audio, websites, phone calls, essentially anything that can allow the storyteller to get things across to their audience. In this case, Cloverfield's marketing team employed an alternate reality game to advertise the film. Players could interact with the game via MySpace, unique websites, and videos that helped to world-build Cloverfield prior to its release. Players would learn about a company called Tigerado and their aggressive deepwater fracking. They would learn about a multitude of characters and how they all interacted with or were impacted by Tigerado's greedy pursuits, and ultimately learn potential clues as to why the events of Cloverfield take place. Now, there are plenty of videos on YouTube that cover this extensively, so I'm not going to get too deep into it. Also, despite the amount of work put into marketing Cloverfield in such an interesting and engaging way, the film has little connection with the alternate reality game. In fact, what little we know that connects the film to the ARG, apart from them both being tied to the same project, is one character who is passed out on the couch of Rob's apartment during his party, and characters' shirts that sport logos of companies talked about in the marketing campaign. Apart from that, mostly nothing. And in some respect, that's a good thing. In fact, part of what makes Cloverfield so interesting is how little of a story there is. To quote my wife while watching this, she said, The story is so flat. It's just one event after another. And yet, nothing's really happening. Now for her, she really wasn't that into Cloverfield. And I'm sure anybody could get that from what she said. In fact, she found it really boring beyond some interesting set choices and a few creative shots here and there. For me, the lack of story, the minor connections to anything more than Big New York Disaster, is kind of what works for me, especially when this film is so incredibly post-9-11. Let's break it down. The start of Cloverfield is an overly long introduction to a bunch of characters, needless drama between them, an exorbitant amount of late 2000s college pop songs, and awkward found footage as characters drink the night away. Suddenly, out of nowhere, an earthquake. A tanker off the side of Manhattan sinks, and everyone's a little spooked. Anyone is going to be a little scared, so they all head up to the roof to check things out, and BAM! The reality of the situation hits them as an explosion grabs the attention of every partygoer. Everything stops, and everyone runs. Because everything's changed. As HUD carries the camera around, running from one location to the next, you stop and notice there are dinner tables with half-eaten food. It's all covered in dust. Cars are in the middle of each intersection. People are formulating plans of escape with complete strangers. There's this scene that's set in an electronics store, and SpongeBob is still playing on the television. New York is under attack by some giant beast, but little Jimmy down south doesn't care. He's watching his Nicktoons. Some characters are getting phone calls from their parents to make sure they're alright. Others are confessing that they don't know what to say to one another because, let's be real. They weren't expecting anything like this to even happen. Sound a bit familiar, doesn't it? One of my favorite scenes sees Rob and company fleeing from an attack from the giant creature. It wasn't particularly chasing them, just destroying things by merrily walking through the streets of New York. 
and everyone starts running for their lives. All we see is a jumping, shaking camera as it flees. Then it cuts ahead to more running, but things have quieted down. And then finally one more cut with even more running, but things are mostly quiet. It's just chaos. Does anyone even know where they're running to? Or if they're even running from something anymore? Is the creature even nearby? You could hear it if it were, right? Even if you could hear it, where is it anyway? New York is an industrial jungle, and scene after scene, buildings are tumbling and people are shrieking and the creature is nowhere to be seen. Because honestly, it doesn't matter where the creature is. The mere presence of the creature, its mere existence, evidence of its attack is enough to shake the world, or at least the citizens of New York. And that's what makes certain scenes so interesting, as characters just survive despite knowing nothing. Literally nothing. In fact, anytime you think you've learned something about the creature, two or three more questions arise. Questions are met with half answers, or no answers at all. Some people might find that a little obnoxious, like an endless tease, Cloverfield never really explains itself, and you may feel like you've just wasted 90 minutes of your life with a pointless, plotless movie. At the very least, you shrug because there was some cool action sequences, but most of the movie was a chore. That's fair. In fact, I think a lot of the film succeeds insofar as you let it. The first time I watched Cloverfield, I was mostly underwhelmed. In fact, I found the plot boring. I had a very similar experience to my wife. The thing that made me most interested in Cloverfield was the audience speculation about the creature, Tag Ruato, and later connections to the sequel 10 Cloverfield Lane, which I'll tackle some other time, and many other things set up outside of Cloverfield. But then I rewatched it, and thinking about the film as simply a recording of events that happened, immersing myself in the reality of Cloverfield, putting myself in the shoes of someone in New York amidst disaster, I don't know, the, the experience was just different for me. There was a point during this rewatch where I felt genuinely frightened, overwhelmed by the shrieks and chaos of gunfire, tumbling buildings, and monstrous cries from this mystifying kaiju. I even thought to myself, goodness, this is rated PG-13? Now, I don't want to get into the sequels for this episode because I may want to talk about them separately at a later date, but I did want to mention something I find not only fascinating, but also awfully disappointing. After the release of Cloverfield, Matt Reeves was asked about whether a sequel was in the cards. In response, he mentions a scene in the film where HUD's camera spots another man filming on a bridge. There's a moment when that man turns and looks at HUD. Their cameras are looking at each other for less than a second before HUD turns to his friends. Matt Reeves commented by saying that, in some ways, there are dozens of Cloverfield movies out there. Tons and tons and tons of people were filming during the events of Cloverfield. Hundreds of photos were taken. So much guerrilla journalism took place during the events of the film, and all a sequel would need to do is cover the same event from a different perspective. So he said maybe a sequel would follow the man on the bridge. Questions we had from the first film, although never directly addressed, could be answered in a sequel where this bridge man would have witnessed different things take place. Maybe his entire odyssey in New York after he got off the bridge led him to the military, or maybe he was a deserter from the military. He was terrified by the kaiju destroying New York. When nobody was looking, he escaped into someone's apartment, took off his military garb, and tossed on civilian clothing. Maybe he's a tourist, traveling to Times Square, and his entire film is just a case of being in the wrong place at the wrong time. Something about that concept fascinates me. It's so creative, it's so brilliant, it's so... interesting. 
and I can't help but wonder what that script would have looked like. But if any of you have seen 10 Cloverfield Lane, or goodness me if you've seen The Cloverfield Paradox, you know that Matt Reeves' original idea for a sequel did not happen in the slightest. What a shame. I mean, how disappointing to see nothing come from such a great idea. At the very least, we still have Cloverfield as it is. It's shocking, chaotic, mysterious, and all-around good fun for someone looking for a creative thrill. If you're looking for something exciting, frightening, and a little more than your standard action survival flick, if you're interested in watching a film with a very rich world, one that extends much further than its 90-minute runtime, I would recommend checking out Cloverfield. And with that, thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Cinematic Doctrine. If you've seen Cloverfield, what did you think of it? Did you enjoy its boisterous yet enigmatic premise, or was it just too flat to keep you engaged? If you're listening on cinematicdoctrine.com, let me know in the comments below, or shoot me an email to cinematicdoctrine at gmail.com. If you'd like to support the show, jump on over to Cinematic Doctrine's Facebook page, and be sure to follow for updates on episodes, movie news, and my usual shenanigans. You can also support the show by leaving a review for Cinematic Doctrine on your respective podcast app. And if that's not enough, head on over to Cinematic Doctrine's Patreon. For as little as $3 a month, you can join other patrons and vote on a movie I review once a month, as well as take joy in feeding my coffee addiction. Any amount is appreciated, with multiple tiers to choose from, all of it will go toward making Cinematic Doctrine the best podcast it can be. Also, if you're on Letterboxd, I have a comprehensive list of every movie I've reviewed on Cinematic Doctrine with direct links to those episodes, so be sure to check that out. And here's a small little plug for Popcorn Theology, another Christian movie podcast. A few months ago, they too covered Cloverfield, so I'll leave a link for that in the show notes, along with everything else, in case you're interested. Until next time, stay cool. Want some Cinematic Doctrine swag? You're in luck! We've got 3-inch Cinematic Doctrine logo stickers exclusive for Patreon supporters. Perfect for your travel mug or laptop. Head over to patreon.com forward slash cinematic doctrine, link in the show notes, and choose the independent theater tier. Doing so will net you other perks too. But let's be real, the podcast stickers are the coolest perk. So get yourself some podcast stickers by supporting on Patreon.